This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm back, and I'm your host, David Ordway, after a long extended stay in Pennsylvania. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Bay Singer. I got it right this time, Chris. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Oh, I'm doing very well, especially that you're back. Um, giving up my responsibilities. I felt like I had a an enjoyable time hosting the show, but I'm ready to get back into the punditry. Well, I'm happy to be back and and doing the punditry. Did I say that right? Punditry? Punditry. Punditry. Sure. I'm also joined today by Andy Hewling. How you doing, Andy? Good, David. Good to see you. Glad to uh, have you back from Penn's Woods. Great, great time. Great time. Great time. And Harrison Schooler. How are we doing, Harrison? Doing pretty well. Glad to have a full studio tonight. Yeah, it's a four-man panel tonight. We've only had this. I don't think we've ever had four guys in the studio at the same time, have we? Uh, I think we had an episode last season with uh, Andy and Tanner. Was I here? I think you were here. Okay, well, maybe we didn't. I, I forgot. Anyway, let's jump into the action. And we'll it, It's s- the first time this season. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a little rusty. There you go. All right, so let's jump into the action. We're going to start with... One of the big games of the week, Manchester United-Everton. I know Harrison has a lot to say about this, but Manchester United won 3-1. to one. Everton did score first. Bernard scored in the 19th minute. Bruno Fernandes then just took over the game, scored in the 25th, the 32nd, and then new signing, 32-year-old Edison Cavani scored in the 90-plus-5. Harrison, what is your reaction to this, this game? I thought... It was a great reaction from the team. They played very poorly in Istanbul earlier in the week, and they showed up today with a better game plan, and things seemed to work out. They went down a, a goal, which they've done uh, in the last two of three, two of four matches, and they reacted well. Uh, Bruno really commanded the ball. He was really intelligent in that header. He was checking over his shoulder, found himself in the pocket of space, and really attacked that header. Uh, the second goal was... Excellent work again. He's waiting for Shaw to make that overlapping run so he can get himself enough space for the cross. And Rashford didn't get the flick on, but he was in acres of space. And Everton center backs really should be asking a lot of questions to each other as what was going on. Chris, seeing Manchester United win a game for the first time in a little bit, you know, and especially with the result they had in Istanbul this past week, do you think this is a major building block for them or do you think this was an off game for Everton? Uh, I, I think it was a bit of both, right? So United's been a bit inconsistent this season. We've seen that uh, in in uh, losses against, for example, Tottenham and also having a win against PSG within two weeks. Um, for Everton, they've really been struggling since uh, the loss of Richarlison. They're, uh, they're, pay- they're paying dearly for uh, Richarlison's injury of uh, Thiago. And, I mean, that's for certain. They've lost their last... Uh, three games. Bernard did have a good solo goal. Uh, I think Lindelof and Maguire and Juan Basaka afforded him a bit too much space, and that just allowed him to cut in for the shot. Um, but uh, the the big thing that I want to talk about with this one is Oli's comments after the game, because he said that having having that Wednesday game in uh, the Champions League and then having to play the twelve thirty on Saturday is going to have a big impact for his players, right? And if United are forced to play those types of games, they are going to have a difficult season because 
just because of the the overwhelming amount of games can lead to those muscle injuries. Klopp even talked about the same issues. So, in summary, good game for United, but Everton just off the mark. Andy, Everton has now fallen to seventh place in the Premier League. Is this just coming off of the, you know, beginning of the season high, or is this just they're in a lull and they're going to pick it up again? I think you're kind of coming off a mid-season high. I think they started out really well, but then kind of after that game against Liverpool, things started to kind of go south for them. I mean, I, I don't doubt that they can't, uh, you know, get some more points, but, you know, I think for Everton, it was only a matter of time until better opponents showed up against them, and I think you saw them get exposed a little bit to Manchester United, and I thought Bruno Fernandes, like the rest of y'all talked about, played really well, and you know, you know, you know, United had a really good performance in the game. So, yeah, I think Everton's kind of hitting that little lull. But, you know, there's nothing saying that they can't pick it back up. But I really don't see that, though. I think, you know, losing Richarlison, they just don't have the spark like they had at the start of the season. So they're going to have to pick things up if they're going to stay in contention for top four or at least European spots. Yeah, just to go off what Chris said about the fixture congestion, I, I have – some sympathy, but at the same time, they signed these lucrative TV deals that allowed these companies and these organizations to pick the times with their own their own ability to do that, and they've left that up to chance by allowing them to do so. But I would just like to throw some stats around about Bruno Fernandes real quick. In the last 33 games, he has 30 goal involvements. This season, he's second in the league and chances created, and perhaps the most mind-boggling one I saw was in his last 160 games, his 146 goal contributions. He's an absolute stick of dynamite. Now, do goal contributions also include going down in the box and then subsequently scoring the penalty? He is, in fact, top five in the league and touches inside the opponent's box, yes. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to answer that question. Uh, going off of Andy's point uh, about Richarlison, another some numbers to add to give some context to his um, his absence. Everton, of course, have lost three in a row, but they've only had seven shots on target in those last three games. I think without Richarlison, they're they're lacking that width, uh, that width to open up the final third, and it's getting a lot harder for uh, Calvert Lewin to. Um, to receive those kinds of uh, balls in scoring position. That's why the only goal that we saw from them was uh, that Bernard shot from, uh, I believe, outside the box. So it's going to be hard for Everton to play without Richarlison. He'll be back uh, after the international break. I believe his suspension's up. So we'll have to see if Everton can bounce back after this. Everton did drop to seventh. Manchester United did make it up one spot to 14th. So... You know, I think this was a big game for Manchester United, especially picking up a win. Um, nobody really knows exactly what's going on with them right now. You don't know what Manchester United you're going to get. I think that's very obvious. They kind of play like the Philadelphia Eagles sometimes. But anyway, the second big game of the weekend was Manchester City-Liverpool. Oh, I have two fellow people here sitting here with me. One is a Manchester City fan. One is a Liverpool fan. The game ended 1-1. Mohamed Salah had a penalty from a Kyle Walker challenge in the 13th minute. It's a terrible challenge. It was a penalty. Gabriel Jesus had a wonderful goal in the 31st minute on a touch that 
was outstanding. I don't know if he meant to do it on purpose. He probably didn't, but it was still outstanding. And then there was a handball that was a handball, even though what Chris will say, it was a handball, and Kevin DeRoyne missed a penalty. So we'll start with Andy. Andy, what was your take from this game? Well, I mean, I thought it was a great first half from Liverpool, but City was able to really respond. I thought Gabriel Jesus' goal was great. I mean, he made a great touch, good goal, and then, you know, the penalty happened, and you're thinking City, oh, man, they could go up 2-1, but Kevin De Bruyne misses the penalty, and I thought City were unfortunate to lose that game because second half, they were able to really rack up possession and didn't give Liverpool too many chances but by the end of that game, I really noticed that both teams just started to get really exhausted. And I think, you know, we've been talking about the fixture list. We've been talking about how many games these both these teams are playing. And I think Liverpool and Man City are playing some of the, the most uh, fixtures in the league right now because they're involved in Champions League and they're involved in, you know, uh, cup games in England and also the Premier League. So, you know, these guys are getting tired. And I thought that really was the standout of why it stayed 1-1 because honestly there's enough quality on that field between both those teams to get goals and I thought it was really unfortunate for either one of them to uh, not get another goal in the game but for City I think they'll take a draw the way the season has gone to still be six points back at this part of the season the way you know they've played it's been tough it's been you know really lackadaisical at times and they even haven't even had a striker for some of these games, and Raheem Sterling's had to play false nine. I think they're going to be happy, but obviously still wanting to earn earn it and get more points and keep on improving because right now they're not in any place to go and challenge for a title, but they still have an opportunity to get going and kind of hit that switch. I'm, I'm going to disagree on one remark uh, that Andy made, and that was that uh, City deserved to win this game. I don't think either team deserved to win this game Sure, there was a great first half. The penalty was deserved. Liverpool failed to put away their chances. There were multiple times where uh, Roberto Firmino was making good runs into the box that uh, were just not found by Mane uh, or Salah. Um, Diogo Jota also had a couple chances. There was one where Edison uh, almost lost the ball uh, a foot or two away from the line, and uh, Diogo was just a second late. Uh, But the second half, uh, although City had a wealth of possession in the second half, uh, Liverpool and City were both playing for a draw. And you can put that down to injuries. Andy just listed out all the injuries that City have been facing over the season. I have the injury list right here for Liverpool. Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Thiago, Naby Keita was on the bench but hasn't played since he got injured. Uh, Matip, this was his first game back. Trent got out in the second half, and that, that was a big contributor to... Uh, Liverpool not being able to create chances, right? Because you put James Milner in at right back. We've seen him play at left back before. We haven't seen him play at right back. Um, I'm not sure ever, really. Um, we do. Uh, Liverpool do have Neko Williams to play in that position for the two weeks that Trent will be out uh, after the international break ends. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like Liverpool were caught out a few times in the game, definitely. Uh, Mane and Wijnaldum were, were sometimes pressing at the wrong times and affo- affording Kevin De Bruyne too much space, and I think you're going to run into those problems playing a two-man midfield. Uh, I tell you, if you have Thiago or you have Fabinho in that team, it's going to be a 4-3-3, and it's going to be a lot more secure. Um, 
there, there's been a lot. Uh, there's also, I want to touch on this. There's been a lot of criticism of Firmino over the past few weeks, and some of that's deserved. He's not going to get cut out of the team because he's in a bit of a slump. Uh, this guy's been playing for Jurgen Klopp over the past four years, and I, I, I think he's actually declined partially because uh, Liverpool are playing a less intense style of football. If you think back to that uh, 2016, 2017, 2017, 2018 season with uh, players like Roberto Firmino and Adam Lallana uh, and even Alberto Moreno having to uh, run and drive and just sprint the entire game, you're seeing less and less of that from Liverpool, and that's because a lot of teams that they play are playing deeper, are affording Liverpool more possessions, so there's not as much of a question as to uh, how much they need to attack to actually win the ball. Of course, when you have that many players going forward, you're going to get caught out of possession. And uh, I think Henderson was huge in uh, recovering the ball. Gene Wijnaldum had a few good takes. He lost the ball a couple times deep in Liverpool's own half, but uh, made up for it. But, um, yeah, I, I think both teams were happy with the draw. Yeah, just to brush over what you've gone over there, I thought the first half was everything that we all want this game to be. It was excellent when City was City was genuinely caught out for about 15, 20 minutes there when Liverpool came out with that lineup and those front four, and it took them a few. It took them 20 minutes to adjust, and then we saw the 4-2-4, 4-2-4 from each team. It was excellent, Guardiola having Gundogan drop in and help <clears throat> Rodri progress the ball up the field, and... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mane pressing a little too high at times was what caught um, caught them out, and Kyle Walker was able to find the ball in space and then get it to De Bruyne, who was able to find Gabriel Jesus for what I would like to think was a brilliant touch that he totally meant for a, a great equalizer. I'd like to think the same thing. And Harrison, I have a follow-up for you, considering you are neither a Manchester City or a Liverpool fan. Uh, watching both these teams play, you can see weaknesses in both these teams. Are these teams weaker than they have been in the past? Yes. Both teams are absolutely weaker than they have been. City are lacking other attacking threats. They're incredibly reliant on Kevin De Bruyne to find space. Uh, I just don't think the likes of Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden and Sterling have hit the heights that they can hit. Um, we know the condensed schedule and everything and all that to be considered. But if those two, if two of those can get going. I think they'll be better off. Liverpool are obviously being hit with some brutal injuries at very crucial positions, especially down the spine of the field with Fabinho and Virgil van Dijk going out. And now with the the creative outlet of Trent Alexander-Arnold potentially missing two Premier League games, it it's uh it's looking tough, but they're still two of the most well-coached, talented teams in the league. And they're absolutely not going to look to drop. They're not dropping out of the top five by by any stretch of the imagination. They're they're still a very very high level quality team. Are you uh, Andy? Are you a little nervous that you're still sitting in tenth place? I know you have a game in hand. Yeah, I mean it's just always going to depend on results. I mean, you know, City comes out of the international break playing Tottenham, who I know you support, David. So that will be a good game. I think that's like you know that comes to be now a must-win game for City, I think, because, you know, the more draws, the more losses they take, that's going to just hurt them worse and worse. And I think, you know, 
Yeah, there's concern. Uh, but I, like I said, I just think City is one switch away. They're one or two players away, like Harrison said. If they can get like Phil Foden going, get, they can get uh, you know Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling scoring goals. I think they can get back in it. And like I said earlier, I think City's happy to be where they are right now because honestly, if there was a consistent team in this league right now, uh, I think City could be you know ten or twelve points back at this point of the season. I agree. I know Chris wants to discuss the penalty incident uh, that VAR went back to on Joe Gomez's handball. Am I correct with that? Yes, you are correct. Uh, good sign language reading. Uh, yeah, so this was this was interesting because we had two instances of it in the same day. There was uh, a penalty awarded to Leicester in the Wolves-Leicester game that morning. Uh, there was a lot of criticism about it, I'm sure we'll, that we'll uh, go over that when we talk about the game. But specifically in this instance, uh, Joe Gomez has his hand up. His arm is close to his body, but his hand is up near his face, and it hits his hand. He is also actively turning his body in order to get his hand away from the ball. And in this situation, I know that in the beginning of the season, there was a lot of criticism for the rest because it seemed like every single handball in the box even if your arm was square up against your body was going to get called and there was some clarification after a few weeks um when there was a point where the projected penalties for the entire season would have been around a hundred um so in this instance i i feel that the penalty was a bit um questionable to say the least considering that he and I know that the rule doesn't state this anymore, but he, he was not intentionally trying to uh, affect the the uh, the direction of the ball as it was being kicked. It did hit him in the hand. It was on the very edge of the box, but it was a very unfortunate penalty, and I would have been very upset if it had ended up in the net, but thankfully it didn't. And Kevin De Bruyne had the first complete miss of the goal since Rian Mares in that fateful game two seasons ago. Andy, do you agree that it wasn't a penalty? Uh, I mean, you know, it's a hard call. I think, in my opinion, it was a penalty. It's not because he was – to me, it wasn't because he was trying to turn his hand. I do agree. I mean, if you look at the, the replay, he's trying to turn away. But I think it's the height of the arm. It's up. It's raised. If if it was down maybe near his, like his hip, I would say no penalty. But it's because it was kind of up here, kind of you know shoulder level. I'm going to give that as a penalty, but other than that, I I think, you know, anywhere lower, that's not a penalty in my book. See, here's my thinking with that, right? Is that while you're playing, you're going to have to run a lot. And as you run, you're not going to have your arms next to your sides the entire time. So I just don't know what defenders are supposed to do in that sorts of situations. He's running back. He's trying to track the ball. He's got to go fast. You can't go fast with your arms glued to your sides. But I I, I think he made the most effort that he could to get his hand away from the ball. But I I feel like... People are arguing that it should all unintentional handballs shouldn't be handballs. Except the point being, though, is when your hands all the way up here, even if it is close to your body, this is an unnatural position that your hands in. It's unnatural. If your hand was down and it hit you here, it wouldn't matter. And and like in the past, there's been arguments of where's the armpit, where's this. To me, if as a unbiased fan, I think that's a handball. I, 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 or at least I would want that to be called a handball. I should put it that way. I would want that to be called one because if that were to happen in a game, I would understand, okay, I understand that one. That one looks like a handball. 
I mean, I just think that's where VAR is so you know spotty sometimes. Is you know you just you don't you can't tell like you know it's such a bang bang play, and I think that's where these things are happening. You know, like the offside call with the Everton Liverpool game, or you know this handball in this game. I just you know it's so spotty now. Like, how are the refs supposed to know? How are we supposed to know? I think you know there's a lot of human error involved in this, and I think. You know, it's never always going to be perfect, even though we want it to be perfect. And I think sometimes it's just going to have to be something that, you know, you just got to deal with. But, you know, I do agree that, you know, there's some things that need to be changed about VAR. But, you know, in this case, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, the ref saw what he saw. And that's why he gave it a penalty after he looked at it at the VAR check. Let's move on to Chelsea Sheffield United. There wasn't, there isn't a lot to talk about in this game to do that. Sheffield is is struggling greatly right now, but I, I would like to discuss Chelsea. Now Chelsea won four to one, and the halftime score was two one. The first goal was scored by Sheffield. It was David McGoldridge in the ninth minute, and then Chelsea just started pouring it on. Tammy Abraham, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva, and Timo Werner, with Hakim Ziyech getting two assists in this game. Still nothing from Havertz, nothing. So Chelsea has the most goals in the Premier League right now with 20. They have a 10-plus goal differential. Now that, that's tied for the most in the Premier League. Chelsea sitting fifth. After watching this game, we'll start with you, Harrison. Is Chelsea good? They are good. And to be fair, Havertz currently is quarantining due to a that's positive true. COVID-19 test. But this team's coming into their own. They're building relationships on the field with players who weren't there at the start of the season, such as Hakeem Ziyech and Ben Showell, who, for me, were the two biggest takeaways from this game. They're absolutely excellent. They've been crying out for a fullback to be bombing down the left, not named Emerson or Marco Alonso, and they finally have one. And what you've got to love about Showell is his willingness to get in the box, let alone just bomb down the wing. He gets into the box and finds himself in excellent positions, and Ziyech, Ziyech is absolutely brilliant. The link up on the right-hand side with um, Reese James is going to be it's going to be perfect. Reese James is is great about going inside when he's doing an underlapping run, and then Ziyech loves to drop into those spaces on the outside. And you saw the whipped crosses he had. Six chances created in that game. It's the most chances created by anybody in a single game so far this season. I mean, he looks to be a great signing, and they're building a very strong attacking force. Chris. And, and again, as I, as I said before, nothing from Havertz yet. I know he's on quarantine right now, and I probably should have specified that before. I honestly forgot. But adding Havertz to this situation, are they the best attacking team in the league? They have the most goals, yeah. But are they the best attacking team in the league? No, I, I, I really don't think so. You got Werner, who's got a lot of quality there. He scores a lot of individual goals. I've said this all season, but I think Frank Lampard just went to the Jose Mourinho school of uh, managers and figured out that all you have to do is have a really good striker a la Didier Drogba and get the ball to him as much as possible up at the top and hope that he creates something. Um, I I watched Moneyball last night for like the 10th time. I, 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 I knew you were going to do that. I, 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 I did knew- it. I did it for a class. I did it for a class. But every time I watch that movie, I get really, really into the statistical analysis of sports, of course. So I'm going to throw a few numbers your way uh, about this Chelsea team. So far, they have four wins this season, right? Four wins, pretty good. 
Sheffield United, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brighton. Three of those four teams are in the bottom five. Games against Big Six this season. Lost to Liverpool, 2-0 after the red card. Uh, they had five shots and 38% possession. Granted, there was a, a red card in the second half, so that might have skewed it, but you can hardly say that they looked the better team in that one. Their other game against Big Six. United, 0-0, six shots, one on target. For as good as this offense is against smaller teams, they're failing to create against the bigger ones. They're too inconsistent. Uh, they got promising players, sure. Ziyech, he's only started a few games this season. I'm seeing really good things from him. But Pulisic's injured, and so he's going to be out for, I, I think, four weeks or so is the number. Uh, so that means that he's going to miss at least two or three games after the international break's done. Uh, Werner is probably going to be the player who keeps them challenging for Europe, but top four is going to be difficult for them this season. Andy, do you agree? I actually agree with them on that. I think Chelsea are kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. They give you hope against the big or against the little teams, and then when they play big teams, obviously they haven't. They've only played you know two big sides, but like Chris said, I mean they're not creating chances. They didn't create chances against Liverpool. They didn't create chances uh, that many chances against Manchester United, and I don't think they're going to create a lot of chances against other teams. And I think that they're kind of in, inconsistent right now. I mean, obviously, they can work their way into the season. I think they've got a good team. I mean, they're going to challenge. They're going to win games. I think they'll beat the teams that they're projected to beat on paper. But against the bigger teams, against the tougher teams, you know, I think like Manchester City, you know, Arsenal, uh, even Liverpool when they play them again, I think, you know, they're going to struggle if they keep playing like they are against bigger teams. I jokingly say this to some of my Chelsea friends, uh, friends, not fans friends that are fans of Chelsea. But uh, Harrison, I'm going to ask, I'll ask you all a question and just tell me if I'm totally off the mark here. Chelsea fires managers like they're going through like popsicles. They literally like, like it just, it just eventually they melt, they fire him. They melt, they fire him. Very. Do you think Frank Lampard, if he gets fifth or below, is he get fired at the end of the season? No. Chris? No. Eddie? No, he doesn't. I just want just want to ask. All right, let's move on to Leicester. See, I said it right again, Chris. I'm learning. There you go. I'm learning. There you go. I like it. Leicester Wolves, uh, and this is another VAR incident. Um, it, this game was a one nothing win. This took Leicester to the top of the table, uh, so they are in first place right now. But Leicester won one nothing. A Jamie Vardy penalty in the 15th minute. Harrison, I know you've been sitting over there watching the penalty and the handball. Uh, so what did you think of it? I think it's the letter of the law, and we have to deal with it. Honestly, I am tired of going over it. It's the letter of the law until they go in there and put an asterisk next to the rule saying if so-and-so is this close to the ball, then it's not a handball. Until then, we have to live with the amount of penalties that we're having, and they are absolutely pouring in. Yeah, I, I think this is this is a harsh call. This is what, like Harrison said, what the law said. And there was even footage of uh, the VAR booth. There was a lot of debate. It seemed very heated in there. Um, yes, th this one was definitely harsher than the one in the Liverpool game just because of the the, the distance between the two. Uh, but before you ask your next question, David, I have a question for you about this. Oh, so I get a question. So, so the host gets a question. Lester 
is in first. Yes. Tottenham is in second. Are you getting PTSD? No. <laughs> you know what's on the I was gonna I was gonna ask about Leicester winning the league. Uh no, I, I don't have PTSD. Okay. We were never in first that season. We never bottled anything. We did bottle second because we got third. But let's not talk about that. <laughs> Andy, can Leicester win the league? I mean, if they if they keep winning games and Jamie Vardy keeps scoring and they don't have kind of the inconsistent streak they had uh, at the end of last season, yeah, they can do it. But I just, you know, I really don't think it's going to happen because, honestly, Jamie Vardy, I mean, he, he can only carry them so far. They're going to need guys like James Madison, uh, Yuri Tielemans. They're going to need a lot of other guys than just Jamie Vardy scoring goals. I, I got a simple answer for this question, too, and it's no. Right now, more stats for you. 18 points on the season. Pretty good. Top of the league. Their expected points right now, 13.95. So they are overperforming uh, what what their expected performance in the league is. I also think, right, their lack of depth, uh, if they run into injuries this season, which inevitably every single team is going to run into injuries this season just because of the, the the fixture congestion, which we've already talked about. They're going to be, I believe, muscle injuries are already up 40% this season compared to uh, previous even seasons. So we already saw uh, Vardy was out for the game against West Ham. Leicester lost 3-0. I think if Vardy is out for an extended amount of time, they are going to drop out of the top six. That's bold, Harrison. Look, I think... Leicester's not going to win the league. They struggle to do well in games where they're asked to have the ball a lot, and that's that's what this game was. That's what this game was. It was two teams that love to have a great structure, and against the big teams, they're absolutely brilliant at these calculated breaks where they're absolutely going to slice through you, and Jamie Vardy will score that goal. But when they're asked to have the ball at their feet for more more time, it's not happening. They don't have creative outlets. They don't have the width without Ricardo Pereira on that right-hand side. James Justin doesn't exactly do it for me on the left-hand side, replacing Ben Chilwell. And Wolves, it's the same struggle. They miss Matt Doherty right now, and it's just it's a problem for both of them. When they have the ball, are they going to win the game? And, yeah, you know, they got lucky this week. They got a handball, Leicester did, and they got their, they got their three points from that. But there wasn't a whole lot to either of these two throughout the game. It was that one chance. We're eight games into the season. They are one point above Tottenham and Liverpool. Sorry, I almost got you there. Okay. But let's move on to the second-place team. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur played West Bromwich Albion on Sunday morning at 6.30 or 6. It was an early wake-up call. Except my puppy got me up beforehand, so I had to let him out. And then he came inside, and he wanted to go back to bed. And I was like, no, we got to watch this game. And he never understood. It doesn't matter. We'll move. <laughs> uh one nothing win for the Spurs. Uh, Harry Kane could have guessed it. Scored in the 88th minute after after a beautiful ball from Matt Doherty. Chris, yes. What was your take from this game? I have four words. Bale started. Son struggled. Uh, when I looked at fantasy this weekend, I was happy to see that Doherty had got me some points from that assist, or else it was going to be quite a sad week. Uh, and also, I did predict Tottenham last week to win, so that did help me out a bit. But when I also looked at fantasy, the top article was titled 
is now the time to drop Kane and Son. Now, do I agree with that fully? No, not at all. I have Son in my uh, in my uh, in my buy team for fantasy, but we did see some struggling today, right? Uh, Son just couldn't really get the ball to Harry Kane. I, I think they had something like 19 shots, but only I believe five of them were on target. So we did see some struggles from Tottenham. It was a peach of a ball from Doherty to Kane, just finding its way right in between the center backs and the keeper. That's a really, really hard ball to get in because you you need to have the levels exactly right. Uh, and Kane just lovely cushion header over the keeper. So Spurs were uh, a little bit lucky to get away with that at the end. They should have had a better game throughout. But uh, Tottenham looking better and better. It's a win. It's a win. Wins wins are three points, and you know teams that win the league win the games. And I'm not saying that for us. It says it for anybody. When you win games that you you're supposed to win, and even if it's a bad win, you win. Andy, Harry Kane, something special. What Indeed. what is a? I mean, we've talked about this before on here, but what is is he just the whole Tottenham team? I mean, you know, I think in years past, Harry Kane has, but I mean, I, th- I feel like Tottenham's starting to get in a position where they're getting more production from guys like uh, Son and, you know, Gareth Bale getting in there is going to help, but obviously he's still kind of a work in progress since he just got there. But if if they can kind of put together the Bale, Son, Harry Kane deal, uh, I think they could be really dangerous. And Tottenham's not in second place uh for you know any reason but that they've played well they've won games when they needed to and you know there's still a long season left I mean they're gonna play tougher opponents but no I think Jose's done a great job with the team that he has and I think Mac Dod- uh, Daughtery is it Daughtery Daugherty Daugherty yeah yeah Daugherty. I, he almost got it almost got he said it Daughtery Daugherty good band good band they won Amer- band. he was on American Idol actually was he yeah and he yeah. didn't win Sean Spicer was on Dancing with the Stars now we're getting really off topic. Wow. But I, back I to my point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's done uh, He's done a good job. And I think, you know, that, that cross that he had to Harry Kane, it just shows you that he's really getting balls to the front three. And, you know, I think getting him from Wolves was a great buy for Tottenham. I think he's been the difference in the midfield. Harrison, Sergio Reglion. You wanted him. You got Alex Tellez. He's good. He's still good. Sergio Reglion has a buyback clause by Real Madrid. Do you think they're going to come and get him? I don't think they're going to come to get him simply because they have something pretty good in Ferland Mendy, and I believe Sergio Reglion will be looking for much more play time, and Real Madrid cannot offer that to him. Since since signing, Chris, mm. Tottenham's best signing this season has been none only none other than the total net $3 million purchase of Pierre-Hemiel Hoiberg from Southampton. He is number one right now on our power rankings for most important player. Is he more important? Is he the most important player on the team? Uh, yes, I agree with that, right? So the problem that we saw in Spurs last season, uh, second half of the season, was they were lacking that Christian Eriksen creative type player. Now, was Christian Eriksen performing that in his last uh, half season at Tottenham? No, he was not. Um, but 
what Hoiberg has been able to do has been create very good link-up play, especially uh, between the, the back line and the midfield, of course. But also his presence is allowing Harry Kane to drop in and receive the ball a bit deeper in the field, opening up more space for the wingers up top, right? So that's why I, I think he's he's pretty integral in our seeing Harry Kane getting more and more assists this season. I think Harry Kane has the most assists for Tottenham it's, this season. It's, and I was just going to say these statistics because I know how much you like statistics. Love them. I like them too. Big numbers guy. So, Youngman son is tied with Mohamed Salah and Dominic Calvert-Lewin for the Golden Boot. Harry Kane is one behind with seven, tied with Patrick Banford. In assists, Harry Kane has eight. The next closest is the Aston Villa pair of Jack Grealish and John McGinn with five and four. Most passes? Take a guess. Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. He has 659, and the next two people in line are two center backs. One being Michael Keane. From Everton, and two being Gabriel, and I'm not even going to try to say his last name because I tried to say it earlier, and I... Mangales. Special player, and definitely a bargain for great business, especially Jose Mourinho player right there. He really is. Uh, I'm glad to set you up to brag about your own player. I don't get to say this a lot, but I'm very proud to have him on my team. (laughs) All right, it's time. We need to speak about this this next match. Aston Villa, Arsenal. Now, Harrison, we're going to start with you. The game ended three to nothing in Aston Villa's favor. It was an own goal by Saka in the 25th, and then Ollie Watkins had a brace in the 72nd and the 75th minute. Looking at this, this was like the old Arsenal. I'll leave the praise for Aston Villa for uh, Andy and Chris because I was completely unimpressed with Arsenal. Mikel Arteta elected to go with the exact same lineup that he went with against Manchester United, and there was no creative outlet. I could not believe what I was watching. They were looking to exploit these wide areas that were just not there to exploit, and Aubameyang went the entire game without producing a shot. If you go look at Willian's pass map, go look it up on Twitter. It is, I mean, it's just sideways and backwards the entire game, and I, I just don't know what he's looking to accomplish with a, a midfield pivot of El Elneny and Partey, I just don't see what the two of them were going to create. And I, I saw an even and more incredible statistic that they're now six hours and 24 minutes without a goal from open play. I mean, I, I don't understand how Mikel Arteta is escra- escaping this criticism. And I listen to all this criticism every single week from the media, and I, I understand that they're a little more um, popular to talk about, but I just don't get it. I saw earlier today on Opta that... They're basically towards the bottom half, bottom quarter of the table in all of their attacking statistics. I mean, 15th and and, uh, touches in the opponent's box, 14th and XG. It's just not looking great. They're not producing enough, and especially in the central areas. Where is Denny Ceballos, the man that's supposed to be kind of helping create these links from the midfield? Andy. Mesut Ozil is sitting at home not doing anything except for posting on his Instagram and live-tweeting the games. I know Chris wanted me to bring that up. Arsenal could use him. Could they not? Oh, they need somebody. Because like like Harrison said, um, Partey and El Nini are just not doing them any favors. But, you know, 
I, I coming into this season, I, I want to go back to, you know, the media and everyone was all on Arsenal. They were like, oh, they're going to be now like top four, you know, favorites after winning the FA Cup yet again. And Mikel Arteta's found a way to beat Pep and all that good stuff. I still don't see anything from Arsenal yet that tells me that they're going to challenge for a title or challenge for Champions League. There's no, like, the chances that they had, they squandered them. Willian was not impressive. Aubameyang didn't do anything. Lacazette missed a free header on goal and skied it over the crossbar. I just am not seeing anything from Arsenal. But Aston Villa, they are rolling. And Ollie Watkins is quite the striker. And I think him and Grealish and Ross Barkley have totally turned things around for Aston Villa and especially if you look at the build-up to that first goal, they were teasing with the Arsenal defense, absolutely teasing them. I mean, Ross Barkley had a back heel pass, and then Grealish just cutely passed it in, and then they got it across the face of goal, and then it was an own goal. But the way they set that up is just brilliant. Harrison, I know that you saved the Aston Villa praise for Andy and I, but I do need, I do feel like I need to touch on this uh, Arsenal. Chris, game. Chris, who was right with the Arteta talk? Who has been saying it for the past three weeks? Okay. Who okay. has been saying it for the past three weeks? Every time I watch that team, they don't do anything cool. No, they don't, but they 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 have they have been uh, winning some crucial they, games. They beat Manchester United on a penalty. And I, that goes to Harrison's point that they haven't scored from open play, but uh, it, it seems like when they need... Uh, to force wins, they they get the wins, but we obviously did not see that this week, right? Aubameyang was absent. He scored two goals in the eight games that he's played this season. Two goals. Um, yeah. Are they both I, penalties? I I don't have I don't the numbers on that. I know uh, one of them was. But. I I I know Andy brought up Mesut Ozil in his actual absence from the team, not meta uh, metaphorical. But I, I'm going to bring attention one, one crucial factor that's been missing from this Arsenal team. Oh, no. And I think it's been, I really do, Gunnersaurus. The second that they lost Gunnersaurus, they've dropped off in quality. And I just don't think that the players are inspired. So you think enough. a little green dinosaur is going to save Arsenal? He's not little. He's eight feet tall. A big eight-foot dinosaur is going to save Arsenal. The players love that dinosaur. Out of respect. And now they have nothing to love. Out of respect for Aston Villa. Let's reel it in here because we've got to give some praise to what looks like one of the most on the same wavelength. That's not really something you can quantify, but you look at them and you see it. What they've got going forward with Barkley, Ollie Watkins, Jack Grealish, and Matty Cash, and Matt Target running down the sides and... Workhorse midfielders and Douglas Louise and John John McGinn who are willing to do all the dirty work, and a partnership forming at the back that looks pretty strong in Edu Kanza and um, Tyrone Mings and of course Emmy Martinez. This team, if the starting eleven can stay healthy for most of the season, I I think they could slip into a European spot, and I I think this this could be a potential year to see. Jack Grealish maybe win player of the year in the Premier League for a team outside the top four? This is a bold prediction, but I, I can't disagree with you. Seven to two. 
there you have it. Um, I have been very critical of Ross Barkley in the past. Oh, oh, I think we all have. Playing, <laughs> playing for Chelsea, he always looked uh, just off pace, a bit slow. He was number eight. That's Frank Lampard's number. He didn't play anything like Frank Lampard. Um, but I, I will come to terms with it. Ross Barkley has been performing extraordinarily well, extraordinarily well with this Aston Villa side. And I will say, I did. I picked him up in fantasy. I really did. The numbers don't lie. His goal involvements, his, his passes in the final third, him uh, in Jack Grealish just having those those cheeky little one twos on the edge of the box that are opening up those spaces for Ollie Watkins. That's what got him the double uh, or the brace. The, this the game. second the second Ollie Watkins goal was some of the worst defending I have ever seen from a top six side. Well, I I want you got to give some credit to Grealish there because this is what he does so well oh. when he's got the ball at his feet. He's, he's it was beautiful. The sports comparison you could give is how Luka Doncic gets inside positioning in the paint. When you are aware of the players around you like that, you can position your body with the ball at your feet or, in Luka's case, ball in your hands, and you can find that and just hold them off for just long enough for Watkins to get those two steps further and slide him in right there. And I think what makes them so great is their versatility at the top. The three of them, Ollie Watkins and Ross Barkley and Jack Grealish, they're they're all three willing to drift to each side of the field. I saw Watkins on the right. I saw him on the left. Grealish, we know, has the free roll. And Barkley does as well. It's just it's a really great chemistry they've got going there on the on the attacking third. I mean, Aston Villa right now is sitting in sixth place. They are tied with points with Chelsea, who are in fifth, but Chelsea do have a better goal differential by one. By one. Uh, and Aston Villa do have an easy game coming up against Brighton. Chelsea have Newcastle. We'll get into predictions next week due to the fact that there is no games this upcoming weekend. But Champions League, the fun, the fun stuff. I'm not in it this year, so I don't get to enjoy it. But in saying that, there were some good games from this past week. Uh, we'll start with Liverpool beating Atalanta. That was two weeks ago. Was that this week? No, that was this week. Was it? Yeah. Is the ninth, huh? I can't do math. Uh, so five nothing. It, it's it's the time difference, Eastern time, Central uh, time. Yeah, there that, you go. That, that messes up my uh, date. Yeah, jet, <laughs> jet lag. Jet lag. There you go. So uh, Liverpool beat Atlanta five nothing. Uh, Chris, you're back on track. Good to see. Yeah, top uh, top top of the group right now. Uh, three wins from three games. The 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 IX game was. Um, May maybe a bit fortunate for the one nil own goal. Uh, Michelin was a dominant second half, but this this Atlanta game is some of the best football that I've seen uh, from from Liverpool in in Europe uh, in, in the past couple seasons. Right, Diogo Jota, you cannot undervalue him. Like Ronaldo, who this is the new Portuguese winger, right? He scored a hat trick in that game. He's got. Uh, seven goals in, I believe, the last 10 games. Absolutely huge for the team. Sadio Mane got that great goal in the second half. Mo Salah got the great solo goal. I mean, classic Mo Salah just dribbling it from the halfway mark all the way and then curling around the keeper. We've also seen, and I'm really happy about this, some uh, a, a renaissance for uh, Shakiri, Shaq, Power Cube, whatever you want to call him. He even had an appearance in the game against Manchester City being subbed in in the 59th minute. Just the the form that these players are in in Europe uh, has 
been really, really good. And also in this game, you saw uh, Reese Williams played for the second time. And he had he's had some great games uh, against Michelin and now against Atlanta. And I just all I see is good things coming from this team. Andy, Manchester City beat Olympiacos 3-0. Another nice win for you guys. Uh, do you guys think you can win the Champions League this year? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't consider City favorites, but, I mean, you know, it's been our goal for the last couple of years, and why not have a good run at it? I mean, City made the quarters last year, and I think they have a team that could surprise. Uh, I mean, Farron Torres has been great in the Champions League. I think – He's been a steal uh, so far for, you know, for buying him for only $23 million, He's really put in a lot of work. Uh, I know he didn't really show it too much against Liverpool, but it, he scored in the last two Champions League games, and I think he's been great. Gabriel Jesus had a good goal, and even Jao Cancelo had a nice shot from 20 yards uh, late in that game. So I think, you know, City's rolling in the Champions League, probably an easy group, obviously, I know we get pinned for, you know, getting the easy draw, which that's fair. It's totally fair. Hey, no Shakhtar this season. That's true. No Shakhtar. We don't have to worry about them, even though they're second in their group ahead of Real Madrid. Which fair. Fair point. Pretty good. Um, but, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think we'll see how the draw unfolds, and hopefully City's able to make it further than the quarterfinals. Harrison, I know you don't want to talk about it. But that 2-1 loss at Istanbul, you're in the group of death. It is. I mean, you're probably in the best group out of any group with uh, RB Leipzig and PSG. Um, you are in first place right now. Uh, RB Leipzig also has six. PSG has three. And Istanbul now has three. Uh, you're pretty confident you can come out of the group? Yeah, I just think on, on Wednesday night, they there was no application. They just showed up to Turkey, thought they were going to win, thought they could walk through the game, and one of the biggest examples of them switching off was the Dumba ball goal. That was unbelievable for all of them to get sucked in like that. Um, they were extraordinarily clustered. Like It was it was just so compact in the middle of the field. They weren't keeping their width, and it was, just, it was such a lackluster performance, and that sparked, of course, the reaction they got on Sunday afternoon, or Saturday afternoon, excuse me. All right, so the last thing, since we're not doing predictions today, is, and I put this on our little list, but I wanted to take, we're eight games into the season, so I wanted to take a little look back on, on, on where we were in the beginning, and we all picked who we thought was going to win the league. So I want you to, you all know who the table is now. I want you to, we're going to each say who we each think is going to win the league. So Harrison, you're first. At this moment in time, I'm going to have to play it safe and say that Liverpool are going to find a way to keep things going and be more consistent than everybody else. Chris? I uh, I have one note about this, and it says LIVERPOOL in all caps, right? So far, and I won't go on too much of a rant about this, but so far, undebatably, LIVERPOOL have had the hardest schedule out of any Premier League team, right? Everton away, City away, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Villa away. You cannot underestimate Villa, especially in the form that we're seeing them in. And so far, they've taken 17 points from those games plus the other two. Um, I they're, they're five wins, two draws, and a loss, that one against Aston Villa. 
the only thing that's going to keep Liverpool back are going to be injury problems. And I, I think this season Klopp has uh, instituted enough squad depth and is putting a lot of faith in some of these younger players. We've already seen Nat Phillips, Reese Williams. We're probably going to see Neko Williams. Curtis Jones has been playing in a few. Um, and I, I think Liverpool just have the squad depth where other where other teams do not. Andy. I'm going to go away from Liverpool because I don't trust their defense right now. I don't. I really don't trust it without Virgil van Dijk. They can score as many goals as they want, but I just think in this kind of season, it's going to be a surprise. And I think Tottenham Hotspur is going to win the Premier League this year. And here's why. Here's why. I, I think Liverpool is is inconsistent right now. City's inconsistent. It's going to open up a chance for someone. I think it's going to be Tottenham because I think Leicester don't have what it takes either. We've talked about that earlier. And then all these other teams that like Southampton, Chelsea, Aston Villa, Everton. I mean, they're going to be up there, but I just don't think that they're going to hold on. I think Tottenham right now with the tag that they have, Harry Kane, Gareth Bale, Son, and then uh, in Jose Mourinho to lead him, I think Mourinho finally will break through with Tottenham and get a league title. Ooh. Uh, I'm just waiting. Okay, explain Ooh. yourself. Let's see what you have to say. I don't have anything to say. He, he's the one that said it. He you don't have it. You don't want to back up his statement. I believe at the beginning of the season you predicted Tottenham to be in relegation. Well, I'll can, in a relegation battle. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I think that's right. Hold, no, 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 no. Hold on a minute. Play that the was tape before we we signed. Gareth Bale, Sergio Reguilón, Carlos Vinicius. Am I missing somebody? I don't know if I'm missing somebody. Them. Those guys. Those mm-hmm. three. Important mm-hmm. players. Huge. Great players. I feel like I'm missing somebody, but I don't know. Oh, Joe Roden. Um, who is the greatest Welsh center back ever to play. I'm just kidding. But uh, I will slightly defend his point. Okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fully say Tottenham, because that would just be a biased statement. I don't I don't believe in that. Uh I do also believe that Liverpool still has the best chance, and Chris really won me over with his statement about they've had the hardest schedule, uh, and I agree. Uh, Tottenham haven't really played. We played Everton. We lost one nothing, but that was before we had the signings. Uh, we played Manchester United, and we destroyed them. That was could have been a fluke game. We just don't know. And uh, otherwise, we tied two games. Uh, one was... West Ham, which we should have won. The other one, I think, was Sheffield. Newcastle. Newcastle. And Newcastle's not a bad football team. Uh, we've won three in a row. We've won four out of our last five. I think we're going to battle. I don't know if we're going to win. I think it's along the lines that we have Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, Leicester, Wolves. That's our schedule. I think that's going to be a bit entertaining yeah, a for the rest bit. of the week. A little for, bit for the rest of the rest of the league to watch, right? Because that's that's going to be the test. And that's right? the test. If if, yeah. ours, if if Tottenham can come out still in the top three, top four from that. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty pretty close. Right now, the top four is two points apart. If it's still pretty close, yeah, I think we have a shot. I have all faith in Jose Mourinho. All faith. I like. I've never seen a manager manage a game like that. The game we won against Brighton, he won us that game. And I think he's finally installed what I 
been waiting for, and I'm thrilled, and I know it's going to end in flames. I know it's going to end in flames, but... Are those flames going to be coming from a, a bus? Uh, not as long as Oli isn't at the wheel, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Oli doesn't park the bus. No, he but, drives it. But you know, I'm. I still think I. I will say I think Liverpool are going to win the league at this point in the season. But Andy's point is very valid. Uh, I could definitely see us getting second. Uh, I could see us getting first. If we get first, I will be the happiest person. Second happiest person on the planet. See, the reason the reason I'm picking Tottenham is because this year is not going to be a normal year. It's not normal. I mean, why are Southampton, Aston Villa, Everton, Crystal Palace, Wolves ahead of some of pe- people like Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal? This is not going well, to be a normal. That's cuz Arsenal are bad. Yeah, but <laughs> but and that's cuz and that's cuz Sorry Harrison, Ole's the manager of Manchester United. And also to to Ole's defense, I think there's some Manchester United player problems there that they just need to fix. And I don't think Harrison will disagree with that. Or slow start, (laughs) single-digit amount of games through the season, (laughs) and people are going to start picking things up. Everybody will regress to the means, and we'll get a more balanced table, I'd say, in about a month's time. I would love that as a Manchester City fan, but I still don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't know. I just I just wanted to ask that question, see where everyone's were at now, um, and we'll see what happens. But there's a lot of changes that have happened, and we'll, at the end of the season, we'll go back and look at what we predicted earlier. But that's going to do it for this week's episode of Stoppage Time. It was wonderful having a four-man panel here. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll be back next week after the Nations League games this weekend and some international soccer. We'll be back next week to discuss more Premier League. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.